Welcome folks to tonight's session. Tonight I'm going to be dealing with a topic that might be a bit surprising for some, and I know it's got a controversial title. I'm going to be dealing on the topic entitled, God does not worry about your sin. God is absolutely not concerned about your sin in any manner or means. So let me just start by saying, when we go to the Bible, we are expecting, if you read the Old Testament, the Bible says that if you obey my commandments, I'll do something. If you don't obey my commandments, I'll put a curse on you. I will hit you with lightning and something will happen in your life. How many of you have read the Old Testament and seen that a lot of the times when they didn't obey God, things really went wrong with them? But how many of you have noticed that in today's society, we are getting away with a lot of things that they couldn't get away with in the Old Testament? For example, if you take just the general society of people sleeping around and doing whatever they're doing, that is exactly the same things that they used to, that they used to do in Sodom and Gomorrah and then God destroyed the entire city for the very things that we are doing in our cities today. So God has changed a plan over the nations. And something has shifted. So I want us to go into the Word, and I'm going to explain all of this, and I'm going to help us with this, and I help us to understand what God wants for us as Christians. Let's first turn to John chapter 4. And I want to start laying a foundation by showing you that when Jesus Christ came to the earth, even before He died, Jesus Christ was never ever concerned about people's sin. You see, when Jesus Christ was walking on this earth, so many people have got this perception that Jesus would come and He would preach to the people and He would correct them and fix them. How many Christians do you know today want to fix somebody else? They want to just help you. They want to correct you. Brother, you shouldn't be doing it like that. Or you should let go of that sin in your life. How many of you know, especially if you came from the traditional churches, they had their top ten sins. Number one is you don't smoke. Man, if you smoke, you're going straight to hell. Do not pass go. Alright? And then number two, the woman, if you came to church without a hat on, that's not for your brood, sister. Okay, you've had it. You know, they used to, I remember there was a photo taken in some denominational thing, and they didn't have hats on. They physically drew hats on the ladies, you know. You cannot put that out there without hats on. I mean, it was incredible, the rules and the laws that we had. Now let me just let you off the hook here. If you are smoking, it does not mean that you are going to hell. You just smell like hell, and you're probably having a really bad time in your life. Okay? You're going to end up with lungs that are not so good. But listen, it's exactly the same as if you overeat in gluttony. Okay? There's not one bigger sin than the other. But I want to, let's just go and have a look and see what Jesus Christ did. How did Jesus Christ deal with all of these sin issues? Let's start off with John chapter 4, verse 16. And if you've got your Bibles, please just follow with me. And Jesus said, and this is Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman, okay, and he was looking for some water. Uh, John chapter 4, verse 16, and then he spoke to her a bit, and then he says, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and says, I don't have a husband. And he says, Yep, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the one that you're with isn't even your husband. So how's that? Yeah, he's telling her, listen, you haven't just sinned, you've sinned properly. You know, you've done a really good job. I mean, listen, in today's society, if we had gone through five husbands, most of us would not really want to hang around you. 
Come on. You can imagine what reputation that person would have had. But do you know what happens? Jesus Christ tells her this, and look at the next verse. She says, I perceive that you are a prophet. And after that, he starts going on to a theological discussion. In fact, to go and sit down and say, you must worship God in spirit and in truth. He's busy with the theology thing. He never ever deals with a sin. He never says to her, listen, don't sin anymore. Please get married to the oak that you're living with. Let's just get your right and sort this thing out. He doesn't ever go near that. I looked at that and I thought, yes, that is very strange. I wonder how many pastors would have done that and said, no, that's okay. You know, we'll just skip that. We'll just carry on loving you. You see, they would have taken that thing on solidly. Then the next one, in Luke chapter 19... Just turn left. Luke chapter 19. We get the story of old Zacchaeus. Now look at old Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Verse 2. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector. And he was rich. Do you know why he was rich? Because he stole everybody's money. He was the biggest callum in town, and he stole everybody's money, and he became wealthy. And then Jesus goes, Zacchaeus, get down there. Because Zacchaeus was a short guy, he climbed up a tree, he couldn't see Jesus. And then he goes, Zacchaeus, climb down that tree, I'm coming to have supper with you tonight. Every religious folk started to jump down his throat and go, Jesus, you can't. This is Zacchaeus. This is the oak who stole our money. They got very mad with him. Jesus doesn't even respond. Jesus goes and has supper with Zacchaeus. And look what Zacchaeus says in verse 8. Out of his own. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I will give half of my goods to the poor. Okay? And if I have taken anything from anyone uh, by false accusation, in other words, we have stolen it from them. That's a nice way. I will restore fourfold. In other words, I'll give them four times the interest. Four times of what I've taken. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Jesus Christ never once said to him, listen, you are a muhu, you are a skalem, you need to give back to the people, you are robbing them and I'm going to sort you out. Jesus just goes, I am here to love you. Now why is Jesus operating in this way? Why does Jesus Christ keep on going and just loving people no matter how bad they are? Two reasons. Number one is, Jesus Christ always operates out of life. In the Garden of Eden there were two trees, the knowledge of good and evil, and there was the tree of life. The knowledge of good and evil, in today's terms, will be right and wrong. Am I right? Good and evil, right and wrong. So, if you start operating out of right and wrong, you're operating out of the wrong tree. And Jesus goes, I don't operate out of the right and wrong. I only operate out of the tree of life. The goodness of the Lord leads to repentance, not the right and wrong of somebody's judgment. And so Jesus Christ comes and he says, I'm not going to handle your sin. I'm not going to confront your sin. I'm not going to deal with your sin. I'm going to give you life. The minute I give you life, you are going to automatically let go of the sin in your life. And so I want you to see there's quite a few other examples. Let's go to John chapter 8. And I want you to just get ready because I'm going to make you turn a bit of scripture tonight. John chapter 8, verse 4. How many
many of you have noticed that Jesus Christ was called Rabbi? Okay? Now to be able to become a Rabbi in the Jewish custom, you had to have studied for 30 odd years. In other words, that you are very well learned. We think that after a student has got three year degrees, ready to go and lead God's people. Scary. Okay, but the point is, when we sit down and look at Jesus and they call him rabbi, the rabbi carried an authority that when the rabbi spoke, things would happen. They would do exactly what the rabbi said. So this is what happens in this scenario. They find this adulterous woman and they bring her to Jesus. Because they say, now rabbi, what do you have to say about this? Because now you've got to make a judgment call on what is right and wrong. So let's look at verse 4. It says, And they said to him, Teacher, okay, in another translation, Rabbi. This woman was caught in adultery in the very act. See, it's always amazing. They bring the woman and they forget about the guy. There's normally two here, but anyway, they just caught her. Alright, now Moses, in the law, commanded that, that such a person should be put to death. What do you say? In other words, he's going, listen, the right thing to do, your word says that you shall not commit adultery. If you get caught committing adultery, you need to be stoned. In other words, the right thing to do is to stone him. Okay? And here he gets, here she gets caught, and Jesus Christ sits down in front of them. And then in verse 10, it says, And when Jesus raised himself up, he saw... No one but the woman. And said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Remember he wrote in the sand and then suddenly they all got... Now there's lots of things that they think he wrote in the sand, you know? Like all their lovers' names and stuff, you know what I mean? I don't know what he wrote there, the Bible doesn't say. But he wrote and the Bible says they all got convicted and all ran away. So guess what Jesus says? So she says, No Lord... Uh, there's nobody here. So he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And he lets off. He did not stone her. He did not stick to the law. And he did not do what everybody thought he must do. Why did he go against the very law that he's supposed to be applying? Because Jesus Christ is coming and he says, I bring a new law. Love one another. Love, the God, love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Those are the two commandments I give you. The new law. The new law is this. Bring life. Don't bring correction. Okay? Don't come with judgment. Don't come with condemnation. Don't come and expose sin. Now let me give you the best one. John chapter 12. I'm just showing you a few places where Jesus Christ should have handled stuff and he didn't. This one I really appreciate. <clears throat> How many of you know the story? Well, let's, let's pick it up here. Mary... Uh, Verse 3. Then Mary took a pound of a very costly oil and sprinkled and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of this oil. And one of the disciples, Judas, okay, who would betray him later, he discusses this, he says, Why was this fragrance oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now listen to the next verse, this is brilliant. For he said this, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money box, and he used to take what was in it. So in other words, he says, you must sell it and give it to the poor, but it will come into my money box first, and I will help myself. 
I have a very strong suspicion that when Jesus Christ is not in the Bible, because the Bible says whatever's in that money box, Jesus used to steal from it. And there was a place in the Bible where Jesus had to feed 5,000. And then they said, what does he do? Go and buy bread. I'm pretty sure if they went to go check in that money box, there wasn't much money left there. Judas was helping himself and having a nice lifestyle. I want to tell you something. Jesus Christ knew this. Jesus Christ knew that Judas was stealing from him. I want to ask this. How many pastors would have their chief treasurer stealing from them and keep him on the payroll? And not only keep them on the payroll, but keep them in charge of the money. Right up until the Last Supper, when Jesus says that, dip the bread together with me, the disciples thought that Jesus was talking about Judas going to go and buy some bread and give it to the poor. Go read that. Right up until the Last Supper, Judas was still in charge of the money. It's amazing how that Jesus overlooked it and he just kept loving Judas, kept loving Judas, kept loving Judas, even though he knew that he was going to betray him. But Jesus Christ never took on the sin that was evident in Judas's life because he was only trying to give life. And I want us to understand this, that when it comes to sin, God is not going to address your sin anymore. It is not an issue for him. Let's have a look at the prodigal son. Let's go back to Luke. Luke chapter 15. We're jumping between the two books for now. We'll change books just now. Luke chapter 15 verse 22. Now everybody knows the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son is as follows. The father gives the son his inheritance. He goes off. He mixes with the world, squanders everything, got no more money left, absolutely messed up, and realizes that he's sitting down and he's worse off than the servants in his father's house. says, listen, let me not be dumb. Let me rather be a servant in my father's house, because at least I get food and shelter and can live okay. So he comes back to the father. The father sees him and starts getting all excited and starts running towards him. When he gets to him, he says the following... The father said to his servants, verse 22, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. In other words, put the best robe on. What does that mean? It means to show him his position. Okay? When they were sitting down, the, 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 the uh, noble guys had robes. So they would sit down and say, Listen, this is my robe. You can see he's the master. He's not a slave. Then he said, give him a ring. Now what had that son just gone and done? He had spent his entire inheritance. He had squandered every cent that he had. And the first thing that the father does is he gives him a ring, which means he gives him his bank account. The father's ring was a signet ring so that he had total control over the father's estate. The very first thing that that father does is he restores him to where he was before he even left. And he never even asked him, what did he do with the money? That is how God is with us. God is there loving us so much. And he says, listen, I love you. I want you to come into wholeness. I want you to come into fullness. No matter what you do, it doesn't change the way that I am towards you. You can go and squander it. You can go and mess up. You can sin. I have one issue with people sinning. I just wish they would do it properly. If you're going to mess up, do a decent job. 
once and half-heartedly do it properly. Okay? And then at least come back and say, okay, God, I'm sorry. And you know what? God will take us right back to where we were at the beginning. As if we had never done anything wrong. Now, why is that such a change from the Old Testament? Remember in the Old Testament, if they did this stuff, they got toast, man. I'm telling you, they had to watch out from lightning from the sky and the earth swallowing them up. I mean, all sorts of hell broke loose on the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, we are not seeing it happen like that. Well, let's go to 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. And I'm going to show you where this has now changed and why it has changed. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 to 10. It says, but if we, are, if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with the light. And we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. In other words, when Jesus Christ died, He washes away all of your sin. Okay, now I don't have time. Okay, but let's just take verse 8. And it says, but if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, we could sit down, some guys go, oh well, I don't have any sin, I'm perfect. No, you're lying, man. You have got sin in your life, but the blood of Jesus is covering your sin. Now let me just quickly give you a synopsis of where this principle comes in. Remember Adam and Eve. What happened when they sinned? They found out that they were naked. The glory of God had lifted off them. They realized that they were naked. What is the very first thing that God did? He killed an animal to clothe them. The Bible says that there has to be a a shedding of blood for the remission of sin. In other words, there had to be a shedding of blood for the covering of your sin. So right through the Old Testament you'll see that every time a sin thing was involved, they had to kill an animal to cover themselves for their sin. So that's why they had to kill an animal once a year. They remember the story of the high priest? The high priest would come in and bring the blood of the animal. And if God accepted it, the priest would live. If the priest had sinned in his life or didn't do the thing properly, God would kill the priest. That's why they always had this pomegranate and jingle bell around his, his garment. So as long as they heard jingle bells playing, everybody was very happy. Because when that stopped, oops. And they had a rope tied to the priest and they pulled him out. And then they asked for the next oak. Okay, who wants to be the next priest? It was one of those things that not many people volunteered for. But it was genuinely something that was serious with God. God did not mess around with this. Because He did not allow sin in His sight. Until Jesus Christ came. When Jesus Christ came, something totally different happened here. Jesus Christ came, His blood was so precious, when He got raised from the dead, that's why He said to Mary, Mary, don't touch me, I have not yet been to my Father, to present my blood, once and for all, for everybody. So Jesus Christ goes to the Father, presents His blood, and God the Father takes the blood, accepts it, and the difference is, it's not to cover your sin, it washes your sin away. So let me tell you something here that might help you. Your sin has been paid for, for even the sin you haven't even committed yet. So if you're going to mess up tomorrow, you must know it's covered. Your insurance policy is in place. Now I have a problem in this aspect. A lot of grace teachers have pushed this thing so to the extreme and said, okay, well it doesn't matter, you can just do what you want. You can just sin and it's fine. Okay, from the point of view that God loves you, it is fine. 
God is not going to change your heart, His heart towards you. He loves you so dearly. He really wants the best for you. His relationship towards you is not going to change. Why? Because the blood of Jesus washes away your sin. God looks at you and He can never see your sin. Now for us, that's awesome. Because that means that His wrath doesn't come afterwards. He's not going to take us out because we've sinned. Are you guys with me? Do we sin? Yes. Is it taken care of from God's side? Yes, it's taken care of. God is never going to judge you for your sin. When you stand before God one day, if you're a child of God, He's only going to judge you for what you you did and didn't do with regards to obedience. Did you do what I asked you to do? And then you'll get a reward. The problem that I've got with the body of Christ is this. A lot of us think we are going to get these awesome rewards and a lot of us are going to get nothing. Because we have not found out what God wants us to do and we've not been obedient to what God has called us to do. So you have got to find out what God's called you to do and you better be obedient to what He's telling you to do. Because you are not just on this earth to breathe the oxygen. Okay? You are here with a purpose and a plan. So... If sin is not an issue, why do we have issues on this earth? How many of you know that if you do something wrong, there's still a consequence that happens to you? Come on, let's be honest. Okay? I don't have an issue with anything that you do other than it is going to hurt you. And let me tell you where our problem is this. The Bible says, let's take this, let's go to the scripture, Romans chapter 6 verse 23. It says this, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. What does that mean? How many of you know that wages is a reward for something that you've done? Come on, how many of you do a job and you want to get paid for it? Come on, it's a new South Africa. Viva, I want money without working. <laughs> okay, but no, come on. Wages is a, is a reward for something that you've done. You've worked for something, and you need a reward for it. A compensation. Now, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life. Now, what does that mean? It means if I practice sin, I'm calling death unto myself. This is not a relationship that changes from God's sight. Let me make it simple for you. It is like my relationship with my daughter. Okay? I say to Jade, Jade, please do not touch that stove. It is going to hurt you. And she doesn't listen and she touches the stove. What does she get as a reward of not listening? Pain. A lot of pain. Does that change my relationship to my daughter? No, but it was unnecessary. And so God's saying to us, listen, please do not pursue sin because it's going to draw death on your life. Unnecessary things are going to take place in your life. That sin is going to hold you bondage, trap you. You end up with addictions. You end up with all sorts of things. Let me tell you something. I don't have a problem with smoking. Okay, I don't have a problem. You can smoke as much as you want. I used to love it when I was in a bit more traditional church and I'd be riding down the road and I suddenly see one of my ushers or deacons or somebody smoking and they see me. They swallow that cigarette. 
I tell you, it's lovely. And then they drop it between their legs and I just smile and I wave and I take my time. I know that they are suffering, but it's fun. Listen, I don't have an issue. But let me tell you something. The person who has got the addiction has an issue. They can't, they're not free. You don't have the choice to do what you want. That thing is driving you. It's controlling you. It's holding you bondage. I have an issue that you are bound. I have an issue that the devil's stealing from you. That the devil's robbing from you. I don't have an issue that you're sinning. I also hate this thing. Church have got this thing and they keep preaching it. That sin is terrible. It's disgusting. Don't go near sin. Man, sin is lacquer. Come on, man. It is lacquer to mess up. It is fun to push the limits. It is fun to go and try something new. That is according to the flesh. According to my physical body, my desires and my wants and that, it is fun to sin. And see if you can get away with it. Let's see if I can travel 360 kilometers down this road. And I'm only allowed 40. You understand? Let's do it. Let's disobey the commands of the law of this land. Let's go try it. When I smash into a bridge, move it six inches, lying all in hospital, all beaten up and bust up, and we're going to go, oh God, I love you. Please, people. That sin issue grips me. It holds on to me. It creates a problem in my life. It creates a death in my life. The Bible says that we are not to touch anybody's sin or mess or judge or come and mess with it unless it is a sin unto death. The only time you stop somebody is when there's a sin unto death. What do I mean by that? Somebody taking drugs. They're on the verge of overdosing. I don't just leave them and go, I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to let you just my die. I'm going to go, listen, I'm going to step in there and I'm going to try and stop you because that sin is going to physically kill you. But not only is it going to physically kill you, it is going to bring in a spiritual death in your life. See, the Bible says, don't give the devil a foothold into your life. And we walk around. How many of you have said, listen, I've had a tough life. Things have gone wrong in my life. Issues have gone wrong. Let me tell you something. 99% of the time that you've had a tough thing in your life is because you've opened the door to something stupid. You yourself have allowed some area of your life an opening and allowing the devil to climb in and mess up your life. And we have got to learn to grow up. We have got to learn to say, God, I am going to get the victory of this. I want us quickly to turn to Romans. I want to show you something. This is an incredible scripture. When I first saw this, I said, God, this sounds impossible. Romans chapter 6. Verse 14, it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. How's that? How many of you know that you can stand and not have sin rule your life at all? That you can actually have dominion over sin. And say, listen, I am going to do the right thing. I'm going to speak life. I'm going to bring God's resurrection life into my life. I'm going to see victory. I'm going to see my life changed. I'm going to see my doors closed. And I'm going to see God change me to the point that I'm not the same person that I was before. You see, when somebody gets rid of an addiction, 
or whatever it is in their life, whatever sin you're dealing with, and let me tell you something, there's enough sin to go around for all of us. You know, the Bible says that you think wrong, you've got an issue. You do wrong, I mean, there's so many things that we do that is so unscriptural. You know, every time you get cross at a taxi, or get cross with Eskim for power failure, whatever. Okay, we're, we're going to do stuff that is going to be wrong. All you do is you go to God and say, God, please forgive me, and you get rid of that stuff. Get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it. But listen to this. We can actually get to the place where sin is not an issue for us. If we allow God to work in our lives. But here comes our biggest challenge. Come on now, here comes the crux. As Christians, how many of you were brought up with right and wrong? Come on. You don't do that, that's wrong. You do that, that's fine. And if ever you bring that oak home, I'm going to footer you. And you understand? And it's just like this long list of right and wrongs. We were all brought up like that, eh? Okay? I smack you now, you'll see stars and snokkanflich and alles. And yet God says that we are not allowed to judge any sin. So how do I deal with my children? If they do something wrong, how do I do it? I don't correct their sin. I start ministering the truth. I go to them and show them the Word of God. I say, this is the Word of God. I love you, but that thing that you're busy with is going to bring destruction in your life. It's going to bring bondage in your life. The devil's going to get hold of you. But if you change, God promises life. He promises this. Then it's up to the individual to make that choice. Are you guys with me? So when somebody's doing wrong, and we see it in the Word, they call it a rebuke. You know when leaders come and rebuke people, the Bible says the Word of God is good for reproach, rebuke, correction, all of this. What does it mean? It means that I come and I minister the Word to somebody. and say, this is the Word of God, please choose life. God says, I want you to choose life. You can choose life or you can choose death. But please, I'm begging you, choose life. It's a bit better. Don't go and have hell on earth. Choose life and see victory. See your life change. See me make a difference in your life. But so many of us struggle with this because of our upbringing. How many of us can actually accept somebody in the state, dirty, rotten state that they're in, and they go there and you can love them just as they are? Let me tell you something. My dad was an usher and he used to greet the people at the door. And one day he comes there and we're having a meeting. And this guy ended up, he was a bit motherless. He had parked his car somewhere and lost his car. Ended up in church. Rocks up in the thing and my dad says, listen, just come sit here and sit here on the chair and wait. Come part of the church. Ends up, this guy recommits his heart to the Lord. He ends up staying in our house for a few months. He ended up in the ministry, a mighty call on his life. And he started to really impact people's lives all over the place, all over the world. Was on TV, all over the thing. Because my dad did not judge him. My dad says, I'm going to give you life and it's going to be awesome. You know, there was another occasion... We, you know, we don't have this issue. We don't judge people. We love people. And God sorts out the sin issue. I can't tell you how many times. I mean, one time we had a prostitute that was staying at our house. And we were busy helping her. We actually found her in a garage floor on a mattress eating Mori biscuits and she was pregnant. And that's all that she had. 
And her story was very sad because her dad was a minister, he had molested her, and she had run away at the age of 16 to protect her sister because she was now next on the list. She was coming of age. And she ran away and became a prostitute because nobody would believe that her dad would ever do that because he was such an upstanding citizen. And anyway, so we ended up with her. So here we are, we're busy restoring her, getting her all right and whatnot, and she's staying at our house. So I take her to church, and you know, we're the pastors in the church, so we sit in the front with the other pastors, and there we're sitting, and she leans over to me, and she says, hey, listen, some of my clients are sitting here. So I just went, oh, some guys are very uncomfortable in this church today. But let me tell you something, her story today is, is that she got... Remarried, had another child, lovely, sorted out. We got her a job, everything sorted out in her life. Because somebody didn't judge her. Somebody said to her, listen, we're not worried about the sin that you're in. We are worried about you. Let's love you, bring you to wholeness. So I want to tell you right now, 99% of Christians are not the prodigal son who mess up, are not the father of the prodigal son, But we are all the brother of the prodigal son. Let's go back to Luke chapter 15. And let's just go and see how many Christians would have acted like he did. Look at this. Luke chapter 15. Verse 30. As soon as... Uh, as soon as this son of yours came, not even my brother, eh? this is how cross he was. He goes, as soon as your son got back, okay, who has devoured, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother is dead and is alive again, and he was lost and now he's found. How many of us would have said, listen, that guy messed up, I've done right all the time. I've tried my best, I'm trying to do the right thing. And that just messes up and then he gets given grace. Come on. How many Christians would have done that? And said, this is not fair. Listen, when it comes to God's love, it's got nothing to do with fairness. God says, I love everybody unconditionally. Now I want you to know something tonight. And I want you to get this thing right. Number one, you do not judge sin. Only if it is a sin unto death. No matter how bad people get, no matter how bad the world gets, I want you to love people and pray for them and pray the word over them and say, God, I speak life over that person. I release the word over them and pray scripture over them. Find scripture so that you can help them. Let me give you a, a, a one scripture quickly. This has got absolutely nothing to do with the message, but it's a good scripture. Daniel. Janine found this nice scripture to pray over your children. Especially with this exam time. Daniel chapter 4. Is it chapter 4? To chapter 6. One verse 4. Thank you. It's good to have Bible school students sitting in the front row. Praise the year, I taught you well. 
Young men, in whom there was no blemish, but good looking, gifted in wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace. In the other translation it says that they had the ability for science and understanding stuff. In other words, these were very sharp boys that stood up and were able to stand in the king's palace. You pray that scripture over your child. Every time they write exams and you pray that and say, God, their ability gets increased so that they're even able to stand before kings. Pray life over them. You see, no matter what's happening in somebody's life, no matter how they're messing up, when you start quoting scripture, God starts fighting on your behalf for them. So never, ever agree with the circumstance that you are seeing in front of you. I need to teach you this. If you agree with the circumstance that is in front of you, whatever you see, you are only agreeing with a fact. The truth of God's word is not the fact that you see. What do I mean by that? The fact was, was that there was a storm and Jesus' boat was busy sinking. Okay? The fact that the fishermen said that it's sinking, I trusted it was sinking. Come on, that was their career. When they go, we catch fish all the time. This boat is sinking. There is a very good chance that that boat was really sinking. Do you agree? So Jesus stands up. He does not agree with the storm. He goes, peace be still. He overrides it by the word. He overrides it and then all of a sudden it changes. So you could have cancer in your body. That's a fact. The truth is by stripes I was healed. So I never agree with a fact. You guys understand the difference? The minute you agree with the fact, you're never getting into the highest place that you can be. So I want to challenge you today. Do not ever agree with a fact. If somebody's sinning, you do not confront it, you do not judge it, you do not mess them up. What you do is you love them, get a scripture to what they should be. Quote it over them, quote it over them, quote it over them, and you will see how God's going to start moving in your life. See, and that is why when I sit down and I pray for people, I never agree with whatever that symptom is. I'm glad I know the symptom because I at least know what to pray for. You know, and so they can say, listen, I've got cancer, I've got this and that. It doesn't faze me what you've got anymore because God's going to change it anyway. So it's not an issue. That's the fact. This person has got an addiction. That's fine. You're not going to stay there. We're going to pray and break that thing off your life and get you set free. You do not need to have sin sin dominating and having that sin having dominion over you. You are supposed to be having it over it. Anything that is controlling you means you don't have control. And so we need to pray and believe God for people to be set free. So I want to close with this. Tonight I want a few things in your heart. Number one. God's not bothered about your sin. He will love you no matter what happens. Don't walk around with condemnation. Romans 8 verse 1 it says, There is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has taken it all away. There is nothing that can stop you from His love coming to you. Only you thinking He doesn't love you anymore. Come on, how many times have you had it when you think you've done something wrong and you can't go to your parents anymore? You know, The relationship, your dad or mother don't even know that there's a problem yet. Come on, let's be honest. You mess up, they don't even know what you've done yet. But you don't have the liberty to go and say hello. (laughs) Because you know, he has a infant. Okay? But what happens if you knew already that they have already, they know about it, they sorted out and they've forgiven you already? 
I was already sorted out, it's not an issue. How many of you have ever gone to your parent and you're thinking you're going to have this big blow up and they go, oh, it's okay, it's fine, they don't even react. Ever had that? You know, your parents were making sure. <laughs> now, but listen, you're expecting God to judge you and He doesn't. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus is already taken care of. He's not going to judge you. Jesus is sitting there saying, listen, I paid the price. God's going, I love you so much. Please don't hurt yourself. Don't choose death. If you're choosing death, choose life. Change it. Then number two, make sure you don't judge people when they are sinning. Don't judge a sinner. Let God deal with it. I've had so many situations. We had a church and we had a whole stack of people that were into lesbianism and we didn't even know. Because we weren't judging and focusing on sin. We were just loving people and giving them the truth and giving them the truth. After a few months, they start coming back and saying, God's changed me. I've quit my relationships. I've moved out. God has restored me. I'm totally fine now. I'm telling you, that's God doing the work. So I want you to know, God loves us. And then point number three is make sure that you don't settle for facts. If you're struggling with sin in your life or issues in your life, don't settle for that fact. Get the truth. And say, God, I'm going to speak the truth in Jesus' name. Amen? Does this help you? So it does not mean that you go and do whatever you want. That there's going to be no consequence. You sin, you are going to have consequences. Okay? If I travel 300 kilometers an hour, there's a good chance I'm going to end up in hospital. You know... That joke that says, you travel at 120, God's with you. At 140, the, de- the angels climb off. At 200, the devil climbs off. By 300, you're all by yourself, my man. <laughs> yeah, we're not nuts. Okay, I want you to know that there is, there is consequences to sin. But God wants us to be free. And we can be free in Jesus' name. So let's pray. Lord, right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that every bit of condemnation be broken off your children tonight in Jesus' name. Lord, wherever we have messed up, wherever we've made a mistake, Lord, I thank you that you are setting us totally free of that condemnation. Lord, we know that you love us. Your word says that you love us unconditionally. And Lord, I thank you right now that we'll get a revelation of your love. And Lord, right now I pray... For every single person where we have allowed sin into our lives, where we've opened the door for the devil, I bind every single demonic influence over our lives right now. I cut it off. I command every demonic influence to be stopped in Jesus' name. Lord, we close the door. Lord, we repent of opening the door where the devil has come in. Lord, we ask you to forgive us right now. And I thank you, Lord, that your word says that not only do you cleanse us from our sin, but Lord, you don't remember it anymore. Lord, that we are totally washed clean, standing because of the blood of Jesus. Lord, I thank you that we are able to sit down and have dominion over sin. But God, right now I pray that we will not be judging people who are struggling with sin and are practicing sin. Lord, I thank you that we will speak life over them. Lord, that we will do exactly as Jesus Christ did. Focus on life. Speak life into the situation and allow your Holy Spirit to do the work. And 
Lord, I thank you that you are going to help us as the body of Christ to start rising up and maturing and doing what you want us to do according to your word. Father, I pray your blessing upon each one of us. And Father, I thank you that from today we are free of sin. Lord, we are free of guilt. We are free of bondage. And Lord, I thank you that we will not practice sin. And Lord, I even pray right now that you will forgive us and cancel out the wages that we should get for the sin that we have just committed in Jesus' name. Lord, whatever the consequences, I ask you to stop it right now in the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, we repent today. And I thank you, Lord, for setting us free in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you, folks, for listening to today's message. I trust that you are blessed by it. If you would like to receive these message links directly to your phone, please WhatsApp me on my direct number, 082-659-2224, or if you have any questions that I might be able to help you with. And remember that we've got many, many other resources available for you. So please have a look at our website, www.fathersheart.co.za. Also, subscribe to our podcast by going to iTunes and search for Arthur Frost and subscribe to my sermons podcast. May we be richly blessed as we apply the truth of God's word as he reveals it to us. Many blessings and God bless.